Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 122 with Francesca Cavallo of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I am the CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine and the host of this podcast coming to you live from hometown, homegrown, proudly raised, proudly born from Melbourne, Australia. And uh, today marks a really exciting day, a couple of housekeeping things. By the time that you're hearing this podcast episode, our crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter will have just finished. Now, please do not fret. You can still go and pre-order a copy, but it will be redirected to Indiegogo In Demand. Now, for everyone that has supported our campaign, uh, you have been lucky enough to grab the Kickstarter-only special prices. Uh, You can still pre-order the book if you would like it. The prices have increased. They will not be um, as high as when we go retail in April, but you will be able to still purchase uh, the book at quite a no-brainer price. But And you can go to foundermag, F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G.com forward slash book. Would love your help. Would love your support. And most of all, I know you're going to love this book if you're enjoying this podcast. All right. Now let's talk about our guest today, Francesca Cavallo, uh, someone who's also in the founder community. Francesca runs a company called Timbuktu Labs, and she uh, produced a project called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, which is also a physical book. And I learned so much from Francesca. Uh, They actually have the most successfully funded crowdfunding campaign in history for publishing. So for any book in the world, uh, these guys have raised the most money ever for a publishing book. Um, We're lucky enough to be able to speak with her, pick her brain, and uh, really understand. I got to understand what to do for our book, for the founder version 1.0 book. And uh, she was very generous with her knowledge and sharing and being transparent and uh, all her lessons as an entrepreneur. She has a very similar background to us at Founder. She started doing digital magazines, digital apps, but then they've uh, now moved into this physical product, which is a 
an amazing book for young girls, uh, which showcases stories from, you know, inspirational female women and uh, a fantastic concept, fantastic book. The execution and strategy behind this thing was amazing. We learned a ton and uh, this will actually conclude, guys, the last episode of the crowdfunding series. This will be part six of six and uh, we will wrap our crowdfunding campaign and, uh, yeah, we'll be sharing more with you guys around how we've done it, how we've broken it down. So far uh, from recording this, this is Thursday morning, so eight hours till the campaign finishes. We've raised uh, close to 190000 and uh, yeah, it's been a massive success. So thank you to everyone for your support. If you haven't grabbed a copy yet, you still can. Uh, just go to foundermag, F-O-U-N-D-R-M-A-G.com forward slash book. All right, guys, now let's jump into the show. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? How did I get my job? Yeah. I uh, co-founded the company with Elena Favilli. So that's how I got it. <laughs> so tell me, how did, that, how, did, how did Timbuktu Labs start? So basically, it was um, 2000 and, uh, 2011, and the iPad was about to come out, and... Um, Elena Favilli, uh, my co-founder, started to think uh, about creating an iPad magazine because she had the intuition that the iPad would be uh, very cool for periodic publications. So she started working on it, and uh, she's a journalist, uh, so she had always worked in uh, digital journalism and, uh, and publishing. And at the time, I was uh, working as a stage director, and I had my own theater company, and I was uh, touring Europe um, with, with my shows. But yeah, we were together, so I, I was helping her putting together a mock-up, uh, a video mock-up of what she had in mind. And... Um, all of a sudden, we, we the idea uh, that uh, the iPad could be very appealing for kids struck us. And uh, now it's uh, like everyone knows that uh, children love the iPad. But at the time, the iPad still had not come out. So it was kind of very early. So we said, okay, we have a great passion for illustration. And uh, in between tours, I was teaching acting to children whose parents wanted them to become professional actors. So we said, okay, why don't we create an iPad magazine for children? So we started working on Timbuktu magazine. And uh, Timbuktu magazine was actually the first iPad magazine for children on the market. It won a ton of awards all over the world uh, for for its design and uh, for the platform that we built uh, to publish the updated content uh, every week. So that was the start of the company. So at the beginning, Elena was working full-time as a journalist and I was working full-time as a stage director and we would work on these projects at night and over the weekends. Then we started doing a lot of... uh, So we learned that what we were doing could be uh, called a startup. And at uh, at that time, we were living in Milan. So the startup culture was not very popular then. So we started attending the first startup competitions there, and uh, one of them actually, we won almost all of them, and one of them actually took us to San Francisco for a business gym of one month. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were there, we were like when we left Italy, we had a list of people that we wanted to meet because we wanted to raise capital to take the company off the ground. And uh, at that point, one of the most active investors in the children's media market was uh, Dave McClure of 500 Startups. Mm-hmm. So we found a way to be introduced to him because at the time there was no application. You had to find a way to get an introduction. And we kind of somehow worked the the, the very small network that we had uh, there. And we, we got an intro to Christine Tsai, his uh, partner at 500 startups. And at that point, we we had already launched a second iteration on the magazine. Mm -hmm. And we had roughly 70,000 downloads, which at the time were a a decent amount of of downloads. And the product was beautiful. So they decided to become our first investors. And uh, since they are so well known, 
uh, that allowed, I mean, being in, at 500 startups allowed us to have the kind of exposure that allowed us to raise that first angel round of uh, a little bit more than $600,000. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, so did you go through the 500 startups program or they were just um, angel fund? No, no, no. It was uh, also the program. Got you. Awesome. So you went through 500 startups. What was that like? It was amazing. I mean, being an international founder that goes to Silicon Valley for the first time, uh, the most important thing is that you have to understand the culture. You have to uh, start building a network. So I would strongly recommend to anyone to try and get into 500 startups. It's, it, for us, it was like a game changer. What year was this? Was this still 2008 or 2009? Uh, no, no, it was, uh, uh, this was the beginning of 2012. Okay, 2012. All right, got yeah. you. All right, so you got into 500 startups. Your staging company that you had, your theater company that you had, uh, what happened with that? <laughs> I, um, so I, I had still uh, sold uh, one tour uh, of shows and uh, I hired my mother <laughs> to managing the company while I was... <laughs> trying this new thing in Silicon Valley. And she did a great job, by the way. But the next year, she didn't want to do it anymore. So I suspended the work for the, of the theater company. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, awesome. So you and your co-founder, you're in 500 startups. You're, you're at this, the next iteration of the magazine. You've had 70,000 downloads. It's 2012. Uh, you're the first children's magazine to launch. What happens next? We understood that uh, having just one app was not enough. So we built uh, little by little. We, now we have uh, 13 apps on the App Store yeah, wow. and because we wanted to build the brand. And uh, we arrived at a point where we had uh, more or less 2 million uh, users uh, all around the world. But uh, at that point, it became clear that uh, it was becoming increasingly hard harder to build a sustainable company on the app store around apps for children because uh there are a lot of things that you that you cannot do when you do apps for kids about like the kind of data that you can collect because the laws are very restrictive and uh the kind of uh so marketing options and so it, it was very very challenging and also the like the revenue model it cannot be very aggressive because then parents get disappointed so and i mean it makes sense on an ethical standpoint but on the other hand it means that uh, it really it's really hard to sustain a company that uh, creates uh, products for children yeah. and uh, that's very sad because it leaves space to companies that don't create uh, stuff for kids but that anyway kids use those apps because they just have more money to market them and they just pretend that kids are not using them. So, I mean, it was challenging for us. And uh, we, we started to uh, try and uh, find a way to take the company in a different direction. So we started uh, basically using all the IP that we had created for the magazine and for the other apps in uh, other media. So we, we, we did a, a first deal with um, one of the biggest uh, publishers uh, in Italy uh, to create six paper books from the IP that we had created for the apps. Mm -hmm. And we tried to create a little, uh, like uh, a few like physical products. The book were one part, another part we partnered with the NFL to create a toolkit that, allow, uh, that allows uh, underserved communities to create and build, uh, design and build their own playgrounds. Yeah, wow. And uh, so we did that and that was very successful. And we did that in San Francisco for the Super Bowl, the latest Super Bowl. And then we decided to, to self-publish a book, so without dealing with, with another publisher. And that's where Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls came about. Yes, I see. Now, this has been a massive success. And um, I was super excited to hear about what you guys are doing because you're in the, you know, you guys are part of um, the founder community. And before we jump to that, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the magazine and the publishing side of things and the business mm -hmm. model side of things, because I myself get a lot of questions around this and I know that our audience would love to hear. Um, so you said that you, you started to build a brand, you, you were looking to build a brand. You, you, it wasn't just one magazine. You started building um, apps for kids. Yeah. But 
it was it was difficult in terms of you said you couldn't have a, an aggressive revenue model. So what did the revenue model look like in terms of monetization for these apps? Were you were you uh, did you have a subscription? Were they one off purchases? Uh, were they fairly low ticket item purchases? Because I agree that is true that. Uh, and I found this too with Founder, um, you know, there's there's a great subscription-based model here with magazines, but the scale isn't as large as I anticipated or thought it would be at $2.99 a month. And, and our magazine is one of the biggest uh, in, on, in the business section on iTunes. <clears throat> I just realized that the market, you know, it is big, but not as big as uh, you may think. So I'm curious to hear your side of the table on that side too. Yeah. So in our case, we had the subscription, a subscription for, for Timbuktu magazine. And then we, we tried a few different things uh, with the other apps. The one that worked the best was uh, having a free version of an app. Mm -hmm. Like for example, our uh, hit was, um, is uh, Timbuktu pizza. So we had like, and that's a, an, an app that teaches uh, kids how to make 10 classic Italian pizzas. So we had a, a light version of the app with just three unlocked recipes and then a different app, the pro app with 10 recipes. In, in our case, that, that's the model that worked uh, best. The subscription was uh, okay, but uh, it didn't like the number of subscribers grew at a very slow pace and uh, that made it very hard for us to because you know when you have a magazine you have to produce content every month mm. and uh, and it's expensive if you want to create like great content so for us it was challenging to to keep that model whereas the the upsell of the light version of the app and the other app that costs 4.99 so not super low um that that worked work best for us. Mm, yeah, no, I see. And, and I totally get it around, you know, building a brand. Um, that's something that we identified early on with founder. It's much more than a magazine, you know, it's a podcast, it's, you know, blog, it's, it's e-learning, you know, educational based products. It's a membership yeah. site, all these other things. It's, it's all about building a multifaceted brand, um, which has many assets underneath the, underneath it. And that's how the business model looks like. So, okay. So, Tell us about how the idea for the book came up. And it's funny, I'm really curious to pick your brain because um, this is a project, this project you, that, that you, you're you going to talk about next, this is a project we've had on our to-do list for the past two years. And it just makes so much sense because as magazine publishers, we're, you know, we have that in-house team, we're really good at content and we'll be doing it for a while. It makes sense to just do a physical book or do something physical. It's it's a massive challenge. It's really fun. But please, so tell us what happened next. How did you come up with this idea? For for this um, project, we wanted to change a little bit the way we marketed the product. So we said, okay, let's uh, let's just uh, work uh, on a theme that's very close to our heart. And that's when we we said, okay, I mean, being female entrepreneurs, we are uh, Timbuktu Lab is a startup founded by two female entrepreneurs, my, my partner, Elena Favilli, and I, we faced many challenges uh, due to the, the, the gender biases that are very strong uh, in the startup world, as in any field, really. Mm. So um, what happened was that uh, one, I think more or less one year, one year and a half ago, uh, Elena wrote an op-ed for uh, The Guardian titled uh, Silicon Valley is more Flintstone than Jetson than Jetsons when it comes to uh, women. Mm. So she in this uh, in this op-ed she was just describing some of the experiences that uh, unpleasant experiences that we had uh, with like raising money in the valley and the kind of uh, obstacles that we that we faced uh, because it's it's hard to find the women investors and uh, you know so the interesting thing was that the article received a ton of comments. And uh, while there were many women uh, with whom uh, our experiences resonated, there were a huge amount of men who were very offended by, by the article. And uh, 
believed that an appropriate response to this agreement was like threatening us. And uh, wow. we received that threats on Twitter. And That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, it's not, it's really horrible. So um, we said, okay, if, uh, if people like grown up, grownups think that this is an appropriate response to someone just telling you about their experience, it means that we really need to like focus on this and make sure that uh, the new grown-ups won't think that this is <laughs> appropriate anymore. And we can do that because we have a children's media company. So we started saying, okay, this is a theme that we really care about. So we started this newsletter called uh, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. And um, basically at the very beginning, we started with a survey and we asked people, a few questions to understand what their take was on this. And uh, we found out that many dads had these also like people that like men that were sensitive to this theme and their daughters, they couldn't find enough uh, role models or examples to point their, like to, uh, to, 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 to talk about uh, with, uh, with their daughters. So we said, okay, in this newsletter, we will give you like, topics and uh, conver like conversation starters that you can use at the dinner table to make your conversations more positive around like women in society. And, you know, some people want to be trained. It's not just that so there are people who realize that they don't know, that they have uh, biases that they don't want to pass on to their kids and they want to do something about it. So we, we use this newsletter as a tool for them to just uh, point out things that were happening and uh, telling them nice stories that they could use with their kids, basically. And uh, the response to this newsletter was amazing because people emailed us back uh, thanking us for the, for the things that we told them and telling us that their kids loved the stories that they had, they had told them. I don't know. It, re it really had a very positive response. So based on this newsletter, and on some of the stories that we saw had more like uh, the biggest open rates or the biggest number of uh, positive responses by people, we put together a book proposal on a simple Google Doc. And we asked, we asked our, the most engaged members of the newsletter if they would buy a book like that. So a collection of stories, you know. And uh, many of them uh, pre-bought the book. And it was just a Google Doc. There were no... Uh, I mean, it was no fancy illustration, no fancy design, just a, like a book proposal like you would send to your agent when you were right at the beginning. And they put the, their money there. Um, so uh, that was a really like a turning point for us because we were like, okay, I think we have something that we can bring to a bigger audience. So we started uh, creating uh, giveaways, for example, for uh, like, I don't know, books that encourage girls to pursue uh, STEM careers or, you know, things that parents that are sensitive to this theme could be, could love to, uh, to make our uh, mailing list bigger. Yeah. And we started working on putting together the campaign with several, several months in advance. So it, it was uh, like really thought through uh, in a very careful way. Gotcha. So you decided to crowdfund this product and yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us about the campaign. How long, how long did you guys spend? Cause, um, to, to give the audience some insight, first of all, let's start off. How, how much have you raised so far? It was extremely successful. I think it's the most, is it the most successful publishing campaign on Kickstarter or one off? It is the most, uh, crowdfunded original book in history. So far, wow. only the Bible erased more money than us. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So uh, we raised uh, so far $1.1 million. Wow. And um, of this, we raised uh, $675,000 on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And then after the end of the Kickstarter campaign, we moved the campaign to In Demand on Indiegogo to keep raising money. And we almost doubled the the amount of money that we had raised on Kickstarter. Wow, that's incredible! Well, look, first of all, congratulations on all your success. Now, um, thank you. You're welcome. I this is an amazing story. Now let's 
let's talk about the campaign. Let's talk the strategies, the tactics, some of the things that you've done. Very, very smart how you uh, validated the concept and you sold the manuscript before uh, you even created anything at all to see that uh, there was a demand. And tell us, you know, so are your are you still running the other apps and, and publishing the other apps or, or are they still in, in go mode? Um, well, they are still available for a purchase on the app store, but um, we, we stopped publishing new apps because it, I mean, for us, it didn't, the margins were not uh, interesting enough to put our energies there. Gotcha. So, so you've yeah. ta- you could take it a bit of a pivot. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So, when did you start um, working on the campaign? We started working on the campaign three or four months before the launch. Even if, I mean, of course, like all the preparation before was also leading to the campaign. So overall, I'd say nine months before, but really focused on the campaign three to four months before. Got you. And when did you start uh, building your email list for the giveaways and, and building up that um, wait list? Uh, one year before. One year, wow. And yeah, yeah. are you able to share how big you built that mailing list too before you launched the campaign? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we had a, so we had a, a newsletter of parents that were like, like they, they, loved Timbuktu's products. So we had that newsletter of about 6,000 people. Mm -hmm. And then we built a new newsletter specific for this product that uh, when we launched was about uh, 6,000 people. So overall, we had a very targeted uh, list of 6,000 people and a little less targeted list, but it was still parents of another 6,000 people. So yeah. Gotcha. And they were the people that uh, supported your campaign within the first 24 hours. Like that, that was the core audience you found. So tell us about, tell us about the prep work. What were the biggest, um, most important things that you did that, um, you know, really made this campaign a success? So one of the first things that uh, comes to mind is that a lot of people, when they think about the video of the campaign, focus a lot on the video making part on having uh, the coolest images you know and i would say if you have ten dollars to invest on your video invest nine on the script <laughs> and one on the video it really it's counterintuitive and uh, but it's it, like we did 13 drafts of the script before we like you really need to hit the nail on the head um, the things that you say, the way your video is structured, and uh, you do that in the script phase. You don't do that with the camera. Then, of course, if your images are also cool, that's a plus, but the script is, like, paramount. That's very, very important. So we use, basically, what you do is you study very closely uh, other campaigns in your space that have, have done really well, and you try to compare them and understand, comparing the video, comparing what they say, how they structure the message. And uh, you really try to come up with the best possible script with a very strong hook in the first uh, 20 seconds of the video. The first 20 seconds must really like be, wow, because that's where the, the people on Kickstarter decide if they're going to keep watching the video or not. So in our case, one of the things that uh, one of the feedbacks that we received more often from the people that supported the campaign was that our video starts with once there was a girl who wanted to marry a prince and then the marry a prince sentence is uh, deleted and it's replaced with walk on Mars. Mm. You can't you, you don't imagine how many people told me oh, the beginning of the video, I really felt it talked about me and I really understood it. Me- like, I mean, I, 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 I thought it was uh, cool. That's why we did it. But uh, I, I couldn't imagine that so many people would tell me how, Im- like, how important that had been, that first 10 seconds had been for them to decide to back the campaign. Mm, yeah, because so, one thing I would tell you, just some feedback, Francesca, is I've watched the video... And um, 
because we're working on a campaign to do, to do a coffee table book um, for founder, best of. And um, I've watched the video quite a few times because I think it is so well done. And it's so like the story and it just comes from the heart. It's very, very real. Yeah, that's uh, it's very, it, we really worked a lot on that. Mm. Uh, you, if you watch our video, you will uh, hear that the audio sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, there are many things that if, if we had more resources, uh, we could have done it more fancy, you know. And But uh, I'm really proud that we spent so much time uh, on uh, like having the best possible story. Uh, because that's that that proved to be very very important. So that script is the the first thing that I would say. Yes. Then like there are a lot of uh, people that are reaching out to us and they they have launched a campaign and they tell they they tell us they ask us what should I do to get your media coverage? I mean if you ask yourself this question after that you launch the campaign it's already way too late. Mm. So you you really have to. Again, study other campaigns in your space that have been successful and uh, take a look at all the journalists that uh, wrote about those campaigns. And uh, what we did was we put together a list of, uh, I think it was like 150 articles of uh, journalists that had written about other campaigns uh, empowering young girls. Uh, that was the kind of uh, feel for us. And then uh, we hired somebody on Upwork to do some data mining and uh, find the email addresses of the journalists who had written these pieces. And two week, like one week or 10 days before the launch of the campaign, we reached out to them and we told them, uh, look, I read this article, I really enjoyed it, and I wanted to tell you that in 10 days I'm going to launch this and that, and I would really love you to check to check it out. And so you, you kind of uh, try to build a, a relationship because you have to give them the time to grow passionate about your story, and uh, potentially you have to find at least a couple of publications that want to cop that get so excited about your story that they cover you the day that you launch. Yeah, got you. And um, on that front, so you pitched ten days before, and mm-hmm. uh, you just kept like if 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 you had anyone that wrote back to you or, or showed any interest, you you actually orchestrated and said, "Hey, look, we're launching um, X day." Uh, we'd love to have your help on writing a story on this day or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people are going to tell you no, and that's okay. You're mm. okay. I mean, any other day, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but there are also people that are going to be very passionate about what you're doing, and they are going to try to help you. So it it's always good to ask. Gotcha. And did you build up a street team? of uh, people already in your community that uh, would help uh, with the promotion and help getting behind the campaign because you guys already have an audience and a community? Yeah, we did. So what we did was uh, we created a Thunderclap campaign and we messaged privately all our friends uh, and people that we know that are uh, passionate about Timbuktu. It's very important that you message them privately because you don't want to blow your own launch by, you know, saying, please support this campaign because you are going to ask for a lot of support after the campaign is launched. Mm. So you don't want to confuse people asking them to support too many things because then people don't understand what you're doing. Yeah, that's a really so, good point. Yeah. We, we message them privately and we ask them, please support this uh, Thunderclap campaign. And we, I think we got like to 250 people, I guess, uh, that, yeah, or 500 people, I don't remember now, uh, that supported us on Thunderclap. And uh, we did the paid plan there because it's very important that you can change the date or the time in case your campaign shifts. I would strongly recommend to go with the paid version as opposed to the free version because with the free version, once you set up the date, you cannot change it anymore. And instead, it's very important that you have control on like making sure that everyone uh, that supported you shares the message on their social feeds at the right time. 
Gotcha. And you'd recommend a thunderclap? You find it effective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, it's cool. It's you, I mean, when you press launch on Kickstarter, you really want to make sure you, you don't leave anything that can, as you have to build as much momentum as you can and whatever you can do, you have to do it. Got you. And uh, when, did you guys have a launch party? We did not. We did not. So we, we did, we didn't like we, all that we did was all, uh, like on like digital. Gotcha. We, we didn't do any live events. Got you. Okay. Um, let's keep this going. Uh, any, anything else that would, do you think was an absolute must if you were to do another crowdfunding campaign that really helped you guys get amazing traction? You had a great product, great story, um, nailed it with the video, crushed it with the press. What else? One other thing that I think was very important was uh, we created this uh, page where uh, we basically said to all the people that came to the campaign, if you share this campaign on Facebook, Twitter, and email, uh, you can immediately download uh, this great uh, illustrated story about a female scientist. And uh, that really encouraged people to share the campaign as much as possible. And uh, so that's another thing that I strongly recommend anyone to do. Can you just delve a little deeper on telling us how the mechanics of getting people to share and, and the timeline? So did you get people to share after the campaign launched or like, like how, can you tell us about that part? No, no, no. Yeah, sure. So basically, if you go to our Kickstarter campaign, so just Google Kickstarter, good night stories for rebel girls. Yes. You will see that uh, on the like, there was the very first part was the picture, the mock-up of the book yes. and uh, the description of the project, right? Yes. Now you see the stretch goals, but that wasn't there. But then immediately after the description of the product, we yes. had the share part. So there is an image that uh, says share our project plus get three free eBooks. So basically there is a button and if you click on it, you are brought to a website with our picture and it says support us with three clicks and you share it on Facebook, you email a friend and then you can download these three ebooks that we had prepared uh, beforehand. And they are two uh, illustrated stories about two scientists and the PDF on how to raise confident uh, girls. Got you. And you saw a lot of success with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really encouraged people to share this with their uh, social circles, which is really important uh, because it really makes your campaign uh, like exponentially viral. Got you. And can you wrap some numbers? How many do you know? How many shares was triggered from that little? No, I don't have any numbers uh, right now. But um, during the campaign, we had like uh, moments where uh, like there were. You know, when Facebook tells you how many people are talking about something yes. and it was like 40,000 people were talking wow. about it. So, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Okay. Um, so what else did you do? Was there anything else that um, you'd like to share that was just an absolute game changer? Well, uh, if I, I said that uh, the quality of the video can like can also be not great. Yes. On the other hand, uh, it's uh, in our experience, it's very important that the images in the campaign really look awesome, because that's the part where you can. I mean, you really have to show that uh, users are going to get something high quality. Sometimes I mean I've seen many campaigns where uh, that were not very successful, and in many cases I attribute that to the fact that they didn't uh, take enough care of the of the images that they showed in the campaign. It's very important that you uh, give as much information as you can to the people about the physical qualities of the that the rewards that they're going to get or uh, will have. So, for example, in our case, we, we gave them the dimensions of the book, the kind of paper, the kind of cover that they would get. And you have to understand that on Kickstarter, like the biggest obstacle to overcome is the fact that people are buying something that doesn't exist yet. Mm. So you really have to make an effort to make them see 
what they're going to get because that's going to uh, win their resistance to put their money on something that they will get several months later. Ah, got you. So you want to you you had a big focus on building as much trust as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is why in our in our video, for example, you see a lot of images of other things that we had been able to deliver. Gotcha. So it's not just like two people that you have to establish authority. Got you. I see. Okay, and I'm curious um, because. When it comes to this project, uh, you guys, you closed it off a while ago. Please tell me, uh, when it comes to what happens next, you fulfill this product, what happens next to you guys? Like, what does the business model look like, do you think? Well, we are, uh, right now we are focused on, so the campaign, uh, the Kickstarter campaign ended at the end of May. But uh, as I said, we kept, we are still going. So it's still possible to pre-order the book on Indiegogo. Yes. Please do, if you're listening to this. We can finish off at where people can go, but please tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so, I mean, of course, it's been quite a ride to put the book together uh, because we are, uh, now, last week, we gave the files to the printing company uh, in Canada where we're going to print a book. So, so far, uh, we've been mainly focused on delivering, like making sure that we could fulfill the promise that all our backers, all our uh, almost uh, 25,000 backers from 72 countries can get their books in time for Christmas. So we, we're just starting now to look at the, what we're going to build uh, next. And the way we see it is, and the way uh, many uh, backers, like the kind of feedback that we received from many backers is that they as well, like they see this as a movement. So we really want to serve the audience that we uh, created around this book with uh, as many products as we can with the Rebel Girls DNA, because we really feel that uh, there is a big opportunity and the and the big need from people that uh, would really love to inspire their their daughters and their sons with the story with these incredible stories of uh, women from all over the world. And um, you know, part of the reason why we we we, we created the books with uh, sixty different female artists each portraying a different a different woman it's also that um in the dna of this product there is like a respect for women that look different from each other mm. this is like this may seem like trivial uh, details but they are not because when you look at the like all the back to school products and the things the themed merchandise that parents can buy for their girls that's not really available on the market. So we really care of like keeping on spreading the message of beauty that can come in any form and any, like in any shape at any age, in any color, because this is something that's still, unfortunately still very rare. And we saw that this message resonated so powerfully with, uh, with our audience. So we want to keep creating products along these lines. Yeah, wow, amazing. And what what do you have in mind for some products? Do you think a membership community? Do you think where you have premium content? Do you think more books? What or more maybe more physical products in other shapes or forms? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, we're thinking of so our vision is to create a new kind of media company where that also uh, creates physical products as well as digital things, because we've always had a very, like, we always cared that our products would feel very warm to the people that uh, use them. And we started this even with our apps. But what we realized that uh, is that uh, when you also build physical products, you really have an opportunity to make it like really much warmer than if you just do digital products because there is something irreplaceable in the physical experience of some something that you created with someone in mind so we really want to keep creating a combination of digital and physical products and uh, to build a new kind of, uh, of of media company along these lines yeah i think um 
I think you guys got a lot of good times ahead of you, a lot of success, and um, I'm really excited to keep watching your journey. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. So one, two last questions. One, you talked about um, after the campaign closed, people could still access in demand via Indiegogo. What what did you mean by that? Like, what does that what what does that entail? So that's uh, actually uh, a very important um, question because basically what happens is that when you build a Kickstarter campaign, the last in our case it lasted 29 days, yes. and it's usually a good idea not to make it last more than 30 days, right? Yes. But what happens is that if you did your job well, when the campaign ends, there you still have a lot of momentum going on, and you don't want to waste that momentum because people arrived late to your campaign. So in-demand gives you a great opportunity to basically uh, migrate your Kickstarter campaign to a pre-order website that has recently been incorporated within Indiegogo. So you so just think that the first day after the end of our Kickstarter campaign, we had set up the in-demand campaign. And on the first day, we did like we had $20,000 in pre-orders. Wow. So if, we, if we had not continued the campaign on in demand, we would have lost like immediately. I mean, we would have lost at least $20,000. Then what happened is that we almost doubled the number. So there are a lot of people when, when your campaign works, there are a lot of people that will find out about your campaign when it's over. And you don't want to miss on their sale, sale opportunity. And uh, that's why migrating your campaign on in demand which is now hosted inside Indiegogo, which is amazing because basically you're still in a community of people that are passionate about crowdfunding and always looking out for new products to buy. So uh, it's, uh, it's really great to use this opportunity. And the other thing that's really great is that to collect your pre-orders, you can work on with uh, this company that's really great. It's called Baker Kit. Yes, and uh, they're really great. And uh, what they do is they allow you to send surveys through their system uh, when you're uh, like when you have to collect uh, the shipping address for your backers. But the greatest thing is that you can set up a shop there. So basically, when the backers come in to complete their survey, they have a system where you offer them the opportunity to, for example, do you want to add? a copy of the book to your orders or two copies, or do you want to add a poster or a tattoo sheet? So in that case, for us, we made uh, from people that uh, added things to their order on Baker Kit an extra uh, $60,000. Wow. So you had some other products that you offered with Baker Kit. Yeah, yeah, which were basically, uh, I mean, most of these products were, free for the first backers. So in the Kickstarter, we really like, it's a first community and they have to put their money in when no one has yet. So we really wanted to create for them a premium experience. And uh, so with their pledge, they all, uh, the Kickstarter backers also got a coloring book, a tattoo sheet and uh, a poster. So basically the same things that we created for the Kickstarter campaign, then we we put them uh, as add-ons for the backers of uh, like in demand, the ones that arrived later. Gotcha. I see. Amazing. And um, just one last question on the Indiegogo piece. So you actually, on the lead up to the campaign finish, you went to Indiegogo, they have an in-demand service, and then you set up a link to go from Kickstarter to this in-demand service via Indiegogo, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you if still... you go now to our Kickstarter page, you will see a, a green button saying uh, pre-order, and th- that button will take you to Indiegogo. Gotcha. So you didn't build a microsite or anything? No, no, no. Not yet. Gotcha. Now we will build a, a, a website with Shopify, but uh, yeah, we haven't done it yet. That's why it's very convenient, because even if you haven't set up a shop yet, it's very straightforward. Mm, gotcha. Okay, fantastic. Well, look, um, Francesca, this has been an amazing conversation. I myself have learned so much because we have a campaign coming up. 
you know, we, we have, uh, we're serving different industries, different niches, but very similar kind of mag, uh, media company. You know, we started with digital magazines. We're venturing out into many different products and, and having a multifaceted model. And, and it's, like I said, at the start, it seems so natural that for us, you know, we've got all this amazing content. We've got the, you know, the IP and the, the teams, the, the skills in, in house, you may as well, you know, publish a physical book and it's it's a really fun project, and uh, you may as well like I think crowdfunding is a great way to involve your community as well. Absolutely. Um, so I have learned an incredible amount. I'm sure our audience has too. So where's the best place people can go to support your campaign and find out more about Timbuktu Labs? Yeah, they can um, uh, go to uh, Indiegogo and uh, or yeah and look for uh, good nice stories for rebel girls. And uh, they can still, if they, uh, they can still pre-order the book and get it in time for Christmas. So, I mean, it's uh, it's really going to be the the book of the year. Uh, one of the funnest, uh, like one of the unexpected parts of the campaign has been like that. Uh, when some when a project takes off uh, like this, then you get uh, all sorts of interesting conversations with the biggest agents. Uh, on the market and you kind of uh, start to learn more about the book market and how pub, like how you could take this book and uh, so this is uh, really going uh, I mean there, it's unprecedented so I, I really I, I really think that having the first edition of the book uh, will be pretty special so you can go on Indiegogo and uh, look for good night stories for rebel girls Awesome. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. It was a pleasure for me too. Uh, Founder community is really amazing. And I, I, I got a lot of inspiration also for building this, this campaign from my involvement in the Instagram domination course. And I strongly recommend to anyone to join the Founder community because it's really like a place where you can, if you are if you want to like create your own job and uh, be inspired by your peers, it's really a great place to be. So thank you, Nathan. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the kind words. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.